Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today, we are really excited to bring you a podcast with longtime friend, all-star human being, high achiever, and most notably, perhaps, executive producer of business at WGN Radio. WGN is the biggest game in town here in Chicago, if you're, you're not from here, and Bennett is the biggest man on that campus. I hope he's okay with me saying that. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so... He's tall. He's tall. It matters. I first met Bennett in the weight room when he was in high school. He trained his tail off to become an elite volleyball player on what became an elite volleyball team. He then took his passion for volleyball to Loyola University in Chicago, where in addition to being an, I'm going to use the word again, elite student, he also served the volleyball team in a variety of capacities. He played club volleyball. He did uh, performance analysis, statistics, all that kind of stuff. But we'll get into it in the podcast. But the guy is unique, and we were so excited to sit down and talk with him. We jump into the podcast talking about sleep. And that is relevant because in order to perform at a high level at a radio station where work begins around 5 a.m., we talk about what it looks like at 2.30 when Bennett has to wake up and rev up for the day and what a habit structure surrounding that looks like. So, like I said, the the audio begins semi-abruptly. That's where we begin, and we go on from there to talk about all sorts of interesting ideas. Everyone can learn something from today's podcast. I did summer school cross-country freshman year at Nutrier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is before you even take a first class at your high school. You're going from eighth grade. And that's the first sport of summer school that starts the day off for summer school activities, mm -hmm. which is whether it's a class, whether it's sport, anything. And it's my dad made every single one of my siblings do it. And he said, you're going to start your summer and you're going to start your high school career waking up early, going for a run, getting that in, feeling good, and then having an entire day ahead of you. I love that. And he was a former runner, so he had that as well. And, and that's... That's probably one of the most important things of how I realized, okay, you can do the things, you just have to do it in the right way and mm -hmm. prioritize that number one thing, which is that sleep. And and I, I coming back to how you you know your original question, I really do think that it really does those those habits early on stick with you no matter what, whether they're pushed aside for, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months or a few years. Mm -hmm. You can still come back and say, okay, I, I remember feeling good and I remember thriving in that way or I remember doing something really terribly wrong and this was a result of that. And I, and I think that is a really, really big factor is what started off in, at, in my time in Drew. I think that, I think that makes sense. And, and really what we're referring to is delay of gratification. It, Absolutely. It's all yeah. versions of that. It's like, uh, I could do X, but I have a game tomorrow, should I? And I think you get to, uh, the opportunity to negotiate those priorities at an early age if you jump into it both feet, which is a really exciting idea to me. It also occurs to me that what you mentioned about like, so I, I thought your job started earlier than five, to be honest. And because the, the 2.30 wake up call is, it's astounding. Most people wouldn't be willing to do it, but you're doing, I, I think it's just the smart and correct way to go. I hope people listening to this um, recognize that I'm not suggesting anyone wake up at 2.30 unless they have to. But the idea of giving yourself a buffer to kind of step into you, to be, you know, to wake up, to uh, put the you know, sort of align the cogs and, and and become you before you actually take the first step of your day, is something that I don't think people are willing to do enough. And what I find, especially when it goes into the sleep routine, is people will say you got to be at work at se seven, and you know you can get away with waking up at six, 
and, and whatever, 30 minutes of transit and, and you're there. You're just not going to be that good at seven, you know, especially if you don't get to bed on time. And, and I find that the, one of the reasons that people want to sleep in till six to get to go uh, start at seven and are groggy even then and feel like they keep needing to do it is because they're stuck in a cycle. That cycle might look something like, well, I woke up at six today. I worked a hard day. I need to watch Netflix tonight to decompress. And I, this is me time. I need this. This is time for me. And usually because you need to sort of de-stress, I would assume. It's some version or some association to the term stress. And I wonder if people would be less stressed and find it less important to have a nightcap or watch two hours of Netflix or whatever it is to decompress if they were able to go to bed at an appropriate hour, get out of bed early, prepare for the day. When they take their first step at whatever 7 a.m., 5 a.m. in your case, if that feels good and they feel like ready to manage what is about to be set in their lap, then would you know? Would you sort of reset the cycle a little? I wonder. Yeah, and an important factor was that I didn't. You know, when I started doing this schedule and I started getting in on this, it didn't happen immediately. Yeah, it, it took me probably a good month and a half to two months of really getting into the rhythm and really changing my physical lifestyle and adjusting to it. I the first month and a half, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever decided to sign up for, yeah. and I'm never gonna get out of this, this is awful. So it took me a little while to actually get into the habit and into the rhythm and really tell my body and tell myself like, nope, this is the way to do it, let's see this out. And if we need to tweak some things, then we can tweak some things. But it's it's really that delayed gratification, yeah. that you know anticipatory, this is gonna feel good in the long run. It's really all of that that played into it, but it was a little bit of a, tested and having to figure out because no one says, Oh, this is how you wake up for a 5am show. This is how you do it. This it's, you know, the person who was doing the, the show before me, he was gone and doing another thing. So I wasn't able to like, Oh, how did your schedule go? Or how did you do this? And it's not like anybody's at the station at that time or anyone's around or anyone's out. And you can, it's, it's, it's an odd enough thing where you don't quite have that comparison experience for a lot of other people that you can say, oh, well, how do you, how do you go about this? Or how do you do this? Because people are, you know, like they can't even comprehend the relation between like waking up at no, seven or waking no up standard. at two thirty. Right. No, so no, no. no, there's no standard. Um, when you didn't get it right in that six week period where it was a real, like you were acclimatizing. A zombie. You were, okay. You were a zombie the whole time. And what threw you off? Or was it really, or were you going to bed at eight even then and it just couldn't, it didn't click into place? Um, I was trying to find that right, uh, that right bedtime. That was a big, that was a big part. And, but I, sometimes I was like going to bed at six, mm-hmm. going to bed at seven and really just trying to find that. But it really came back to waking up much earlier than I need to be waking up. Mm-hmm. And that was that time for my body to get ready and to get calibrated for the day. And that was really the the biggest thing that I found as a success. And it's still to this day, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's a weekend, like I woke up this morning knowing that this was, you know, the big thing of the day. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get up and mind you, I can't sleep in to other people's standards these days. So I woke up at seven, went for a run, kind of cleaned my house and got down here a little bit early and got down here at 10, did some stuff at my desk. And I feel so calm compared to if I was rolling in as you guys were rolling in, running around scrambling, trying to get the studio all set and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I totally, that's amazing. I hope people are listening to this because I'm telling you a commonality between like everyone shares um, this big idea and that's stress management in some way. Yeah. 
And what you're referring to just makes complete sense. I wish I would have heard the messaging earlier in my life because I think I have made a shift. I don't know, probably the last three years when I started to prioritize sleep, all this other stuff started to click into place. I, I did the same thing today. I was like, there are two books that I think might influence the conversation today. So I'm gonna wake up plenty early. I'm gonna move around, drink coffee, uh, read these books. I, I call it coloring your mind. Sure. You, know, the, um, you, you color your mind for the day. And then I got here super early and it just so happens that there are no open coffee shops over here. So I walked <laughs> right. around for uh, about I, I, who knows how long, which is, which is funny. But anyway, I, I really do hope people are recognizing that because because it, it feels like we're constantly juggling. You don't have to juggle quite as much if you get in front of the balls, I guess, in this metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's, and that's what I've learned about the media industry is it's all just stress management, yep. stress and time management. And if you can get a hold of that, then you're really good. And I've, I've never felt less stress in my life than I do now because of this schedule. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, there are a lot of things that I miss out on, and, and that's it's tough, but... I know there's a portion of me where I'm learning about where I'm I've never really had that before because I was in a sales job before this and it was was working 14 hours and you know going to work working there coming home logging on working from there and trying to figure that out and just kind of just grinding and nonstop yeah. and this is as topsy turvy of a day and lifestyle as it is it's that management and that that ability to hold off the stress until it needs to be done and waking yourself up and doing the right things that need to be done before that, that I've really, I've never felt less stressed about my day-to-day -day work before. That's amazing. The guy that wakes up at 2.30 a.m. has never felt less, less stressed in his life. There's a difference, and it sounds like you have fully leaned into it, between stress management and stress avoidance. And I think a lot of people lean toward the second category and then are, for whatever reason, curious why they can't acknowledge or get better at the first right you can't avoid the stress and then and sort of hope it gets better because it's not going anywhere and in no place is that more obvious perhaps than in your industry let's use that as a quick segue for those who are currently like going through their careers what are some things we want to give them some advice what are some things you wish you could have pulled from your career um, for success in a professional realm like what is like very tangible. I wish, and maybe it's this process we've already talked about. Maybe it's, I wish I would have prioritized my sleep more right. as an adolescent, but anything super tangible. Um, looking back on my time, which was at Nutrier playing volleyball and it, at Loyola trying out for the team and ended up working for the team, playing club there and doing a lot of stuff um, in almost every realm of the athletic department there that I'm glad that I have now. One of the things, I guess it wasn't changing, looking back more of I appreciate that I did and whether I was conscious of it or not, mm -hmm. I'm glad that that was a result, was having friends in a life outside of that. I didn't let mm -hmm. it fully that's consume good. me. And whether that's, you know, having one best friend of the team and saying, you know, outside of the court or outside of what we're doing or outside of a trip, I can talk to you about anything. I can hang out and we can literally just sit on a couch and watch TV all day and not say any words and just feel comfortable. Having that real world, emotional, social, physiological relationship outside of that stuff because it's so draining and it's so demanding. Having that as an outlet was so nice. And that came from having really, really great friends on my freshman and sophomore dorm. And being able to go to them and saying, you know what, 
all right, I'm not going to do, you know, stuff with the team today or, or with the club and all that stuff. I'm going to just go kick it with them. And whether it was just getting a slice of pizza, whether it was running around in the L and just, you know, going crazy downtown, mm-hmm. doing any of that stuff, that was so important to be able to have that separate part of my life because that's what it ends up being in, in the professional realm too, because you have your professional friends and, and it's a little different for me because I work with an older demographic, mm-hmm. but all of my other friends, they say, you know, they're going out to happy hours on Thursdays and Fridays and Wednesdays and all this stuff. And they have really great friends that, that they do a lot of these things with work from, which is great, but you also need to be able to get away from that. Yeah. And some people do it through family. Some people do it through meetups and, uh, you know, Chicago sports social and all these other things. But having that go-to of the texting somebody and saying, Hey, what are you up to right now? And then responding within an hour and saying, I'm doing this. You want in? Yeah, of course. I always do. Mm -hmm. Having that as a backup is such a stress reliever and such a good feeling to be able to have something just set in stone, you know, always. That's a really, it's like here we are in the business area. It's like differentiating your portfolio. It, It just, it makes complete sense. And I hope we talk about that a lot now. You had it. A little earlier on in your career than you than you anticipated, but we say that the one truth, the only truth of an athletic career is that once it starts, someday it will stop, and and that's it. Yep. There's nothing else that can could possibly be assumed. That is a truth. What we find is this this strange back and forth. And I know that you took volleyball very seriously in high school and played at a very high level in an incredibly high achieving program. Loyola, I think once you transferred over to the club side, and I think went on. You did study abroad, right? Right. And and they they went on to win a national championship. This is like elite, elite stuff. Point is, the more you invest into it, the harder that break is at the back end. So having a lifeline outside of the sport just makes obvious sense. I think that's a valuable lesson. Alex, have you found that to be true at all? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just having different aspects of your life matters. I mean, if you if every if and and a clear like you said, kind of like a clear line between those things. Um, because I think it becomes hard. For example, you talked about like, well, people may have people at work that they go out with. So often that turns into going out and you're just talking about the things that happened at work. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's really no can escape from that. Right. And so sometimes, yeah, I, it's important to just be able to not think about those things and to just think about anything else in your life that you like, even like a Netflix show or something you want to talk about. And sometimes that's not always easy when, the lines are blurred between work and personal and yeah. That is, that's interesting. And, and now that we're there, I would say that the blurred lines, maybe the, the definitions that we draw become super important. And we're actually kind of cycling back to the book that I was talking about today. I think, I think probably too often we have this sort of old school definition of, the, okay, this is work. This is my real life. You know, these are my friends. These are my work associates or whatever it might be. Right. We, the brain is a pattern seeking like organism. Like we want to seek and quantify because otherwise taking in the whole world at once is, is too complicated. So we say, this is my work time, whatever. I believe, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I believe that there is, there is a middle ground there that you could come into WGN radio. And although you have to do work, you could enjoy your time here. Maybe if, you know, um, I'm sure you appreciate your peers in certain ways and you may, it may not be like in the same ways if they were in a, in a more similar age range peer group. But I, I think if you can blend 
those worlds, there is probably a healthy middle ground there. And I would, I would, and I'm curious what you say about this. Yeah. I'm not necessarily even pushing back. I'm just sort of stoking yeah. the fire. But when we people say like, I need a break from work. I need to remove myself from work. What always come becomes clear to me is, well, maybe you're doing the wrong sort of work, or maybe we've named it in, inappropriately. Yeah. You know. Uh, I feel, I'll, uh, just my own experience, I feel like I've had long days. I feel like I've had plenty of them. But I, I rarely feel like, oh, I got to get away from being with kids and coaches and people I enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, right. I, that's enough sports and, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know. I want to I hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think one thing too, and I, I don't think I stated it as eloquently as I could have. Is no, I like, thought you did, to be clear, I thought you did it really well. I just, I think that's an interesting well, I think too, uh, you know, I'll use you as an example and, and then myself, like, for example, you like writing and you like reading a lot and those things may not directly influence the good athlete project. They may not directly influence what goes on at Nutrier, but it is like adding to your experiences in a way that you can then take over into that area. So like for myself, you know, I just started doing yoga. I do yoga twice a week now. Uh, When I'm doing it, like when I'm actually in the class or whatever, I'm not really thinking about anything, which is one of the reasons that I like it so much is because it's kind of like you can shut your mind off and you can focus on exactly what's going on in front of you. And that's also why I like the hot yoga too, because it's so hot. You can't think about anything, but (laughs) (laughs) like, I can take those things afterwards and kind of reflect on them. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. So I was just like moving my body in a way that I'm not used to and listening to the way that my body responds and then take that into like this thing that, you know, is not, it's, it's not like part of my job description is, okay, go do yoga, but I can still take that and it's a separate thing and it feels like a thing that helps me decompress and then use it to enhance the other work that I'm doing. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds to me like you are lengthening the tether. And we mentioned this earlier. So the anchor and tether method includes anchoring concepts in something fairly concrete. You've got to have certain goals. We talked a lot about purpose before getting on. The purpose has to be clear. The goal has to be clear. The the anchor has to be clear. And then you can sort of let the rope out depending on experience and level of expertise and things like that. You could absolutely. Now, this would be overwhelming for people. But you could absolutely say, and I will, I'll just go ahead and say it now, everything I do influences the Good Athlete Project mm-hmm. without question. I, I know for a fact that my studying poetry and having an appreciation for the arts has expanded the, the sort of person that I you know, can, can talk to, I, for lack of a better term. Like the, the, the degree, the scale of people that I can relate to and find common ground with is enhanced because of my range of interests. I believe that fully. But more importantly than that, probably, and I'm serious about this, the poetry. So my my most recent degree was human human development and psychology. The previous one was in poetry. I don't think I get to one without the other because what is poetry other than Hmm. close looking? It is close looking. It's appreciation for fine detail. It's sound and meter and, you know, just an examination of the world and how people interact and how things interact, how concepts over overlay. I think if you're doing it well, if you're doing it really well, you get some art on the back end that changes people's lives. But if you're just engaging with it thoughtfully, you also, I think, have this sort of color, you're, you're coloring the filter, which changes how you engage with everything. And, and to your point, the reading and writing, I talked to my mom, who's a lovely woman, and I, <laughs> she really is, but I'll talk to her on Sundays. I'm day like today. She'll be like, well, well, just don't work too hard. 
because I'll say like, she's like, what are you up to? She'll give me a call. She'll say, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, I'm just finishing up this essay. It's like, well, don't work. You need some time off. I'm like, mom, I enjoy this moment. It enhances everything I do, sincerely. We technically right now, the three of us, are working by certain standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I could, I could hang out and drink a cup of coffee with you guys without, you know, having a, a needed outcome. This doesn't yeah. feel too close to work for me. But you could certainly say, well, I got to be at work from from whatever noon to one thirty, and and that's your obligation. So framing certainly does matter in that case. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of reeling back as well to having those social realms and that work realm and that personal realm intersecting um, from both of those examples. I think that is vital. And that's so important of having more of your life understand the different perspectives that you're coming from, whether it's work people understanding where your friends are from, whether it's a more diverse group than what, you know, your work situation may be, or your friends understanding where your work is coming from, whether that's the demanding schedules and, and the constant checking in and going in on Sundays or Saturdays and doing what you got to do because of what it is that you're doing. It's important for both of that to understand. And, and I, I think the way that, that I'm able to blur that a little bit of getting those lines together like I was saying before we got on on air, 4th of July, fireworks were down on AV Pier, and I we recently moved into this studio, and so it's very up-to-date, very beautiful studios, and they overlook the river and Navy Pier, one of the studios in particular. And all of our my friends, we were, had a group together, and we were saying, hey, where do we want to go to watch these fireworks? We don't want to go to Navy Pier because it's crazy. It's busy down there. We don't want to get crunched in there. And I said, well, let's check out this you know, WGN, see if we might be able to see it from there. And so... None of them, nobody comes up to a radio station. Oh, I've been to a radio station before. No one goes to a radio station. So we come up here. It's it's like 9.15. They're just about to begin. And we're kind of looking around and touring stuff. And we end up going. There's only one spot in the station where you're able to see the fireworks from. And it's one of our corner studios. And there's about five feet of the corner window where you can see them from perfectly right down the line to the harbor of Navy Pier. And there was a live radio show going on on 4th of July at 9.30. And there were about 20 people inside the studio. And they all just, the studio and the production, they were like, all right, we understand the situation. We're going to do this. Turned off the lights. Radio show was still on air. If you didn't know what was going on outside of the viewers, then it was just another radio show. But there were 20 people at least in silence watching this fireworks display from 18 stories up inside of a live radio studio that was on air and and they walked away and we all walked away and we said that was a pretty cool experience and those are kind of the unorthodox work situations where you say whether you're the producer in the situation or you're the host or you're my situation of saying there's this thing that we might be able to do because of the work situation let's see if we might be able to take advantage of that and utilize that in the right way for a fun situation i think being able to navigate that the right way is vital to further success in your career and with friends and having a better understanding of where everybody's coming from. Without a doubt. And I would even say what, which has occurred to me is that some sort of mindful or focused attention training to enter some sort of mindful and attentive state might be necessary to really get this whole thing right. Meaning if you were like, like to just kind of pause and be in that moment, that's probably the most important important part of that moment. I think if people could do that more regularly, they might realize some pretty cool things. So you get a job for what you do. It's your, it's your work. It's your profession, clearly. 
But I would imagine that you've had some pretty interesting conversations. You've met some pretty interesting people. And if you could sort of slow it down and be right there in that moment. I, dude, I bet right now you could probably come up with a list of 10 people who anyone listening to this would, would pay to go see, you know. And, and Alex, with you too, we talk all the time about like the sort of the small pleasures of being in education and these moments of growth and these, these, uh, even these, these little bits of, of appreciation for the process that you're delivering to people. If you can slow down and really see that, not only do the, the lines between, oh, that's work, this can't be fun, this is work, not only does that barrier start to come down, but I think probably we get better at the process of working, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, that, does that feel right? Yeah, I think so. Do either of you practice any sort of mindful breathing or do you have any, is anything like that in your routine? Um, yeah, I try to do my own form of meditation every now and then, maybe once a week if, if I can find time on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's been, you know, it's usually right before bed, I've got everything ready to go for the next day. You know, I'm the kind of guy like make the lunch, clothes are laid out, all good, you know, you're set. And so I will, you know, get everything ready. I'll set the temperature in my room to what it needs to be, whether it's turn the AC on, turn the fan on, open a window, do whatever you need to do, light a candle or something. And I just sit at the end of my bed and I just close my eyes and I just breathe. And I just breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, very small hole and just this cycle of breathing and you're able to really pinpoint, and I don't know what, you know, past this, what this means or, you know, but there's always a spot in my body that has some sort of tension or some sort of pain and you're able to pinpoint it exactly after doing that breathing and whether that's just a physical thing that I need to work on or if that's a larger thing in my day of up in my head where it's contributing to that, that that's something that I'm able to pinpoint and say, okay, what is what is it that I need to do to eliminate that pain or should I embrace that pain or should I address that in some other way? And that's kind of the way that, that I'm able to um, just kind of take a second and step back from things and say, all right, this is what I'm dealing with. Do I need to address it now? Do I need to address it later? But it's there. I'm so impressed by you. I want you to know that seriously. Thanks. I've known you since you were a kid essentially. And it's just a really, you, you have, naturally come into the position where you're doing some things that are from a psychological perspective, very difficult. There are two big ones, unbraiding and something called cognitive unloading. So unbraiding a situation is really complicated to see an environment in its parts instead of being overwhelmed by the whole is I think the skill of a lifetime for some people. It's really, really hard to do, but you have this capacity to sort of slow down and at least make good attempts at doing that. And then so much of what you said, whether it's what you just said or referring back to earlier in the podcast, that getting up extra early to get your, your mind right for the day, there's an unloading process that happens through that, whether you're naming it that or not. But if you can lay out your clothes beforehand, if you, can, if you, you just don't have to think of it. And so many people who are stressed out and overwhelmed report lying in bed and having a thought creep in and then another thought stacks on top of that and then another one on top of that and, until you can't sleep. It's disabling. It, it absolutely is. And then we go back to that concept of cycle. If you do that, for maybe it wasn't Netflix that, that didn't allow you to get to sleep on time. Maybe it was the hour of rumination that, that didn't have to be there. Either way, you wake up the next morning in, you know, fully loaded with potential stressors. And because of your sleep deprivation, less able, you are less able to manage those things. So what you've done, I, I hope people will, will hear that. And then if you want to name it for sake of usability, 
unbraiding a situation and unloading whichever parts of it you can, that often is very helpful for people. Yeah. So that's well done. You're an impressive guy. Thanks. Just trying. Well, that's all, what else can you do? That's, that's <laughs> all you can, that's all you can do. And, and it comes back to when I first got this job of, I had two internships in radio before this. And I was, when I got the, uh, a part-time position, I was doing a full-time sales job and I was doing this and I have zero producer experience. I mean, how do you mm-hmm. get experience as a producer? It's just very uncommon. And so I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to try. And if I fail, then, well, I'm going to burn. <laughs> but I was like, well, I, let's do it. Let's see where it goes. And and if I say that was the biggest mistake I've ever done, then that was the biggest mistake. And I, I love it. And and. I won't force the issue of this is what you learned in sports because you learn this through great family, great support systems, all that stuff. But it does seem to me that sports done well offer the opportunity to fail and learn from failure instead of fail and de- and be debilitated and, and disgruntled and, and all those things. So. Yeah. that For that exact point, a really important thing that I think I had an enlightenment moment about thanks to my dad was senior year when – we were we were in the quarterfinals of or the semifinals of of state for volleyball. I was my senior year. We were really really good, mm-hmm. and it was us and Sandberg on the same side of the bracket. So Sandberg and us, we were ranked essentially one and two, and they ended up going on to win the finals. And um, you know, I was as a senior, you're playing for state. You think you're the hottest stuff in the world, and you're like, oh my god, the the amount of offers I'm going to get after this is crazy. Blah blah blah. All this stuff and and I wasn't quite there, and it was kind of falling short of what I would drawn up a picture of in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until probably two or three weeks ago that my dad and I were talking. We were talking about volleyball, and he was like, oh, you still like following stuff? And it's like, yeah, you know, there are professional leagues and stuff in college, of course, that you keep in tune with. And and he told me, he was like, yeah, you know, you probably could have really achieved it at the next level if you worked a little harder. And that was an incredibly humbling thing that he said, but looking back now after almost 10 years, I, I looked back and I was like, you know, I probably could have, it probably would have been that smoother of a road as opposed to having to go to Loyola as just a student trying out and talking and convincing these coaches and saying, Hmm. Hey, set this up and let's get this going. There may be been an offer of, 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 uh, of a scholarship or something. And, and it was that just little thing of saying, you know what, that, he was probably right from that outside perspective. He was probably right. Cause he knew that my day-to-day schedule of, I could have spent 45 extra more minutes at the gym or lifting or doing all those things that you right. could have been doing. That it was just a very humbling experience of thinking from that third party perspective. And me like, I was completely looking at it at a different way. I love that you used the word humbling. Uh, because, you know, some people would be really thrown by that. Oh, it hit me. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I was like, I was like, let me just take that in for a second. Yeah. I mean, isn't that always, we talk about this regularly. It's, it, it seems like that's always the case and your relationship to that concept, I think is an important one because there is always something you could have done differently in yeah. every situation. If a conversation doesn't go well with, you know, someone you're in a relationship with or in your day to day, there's always a level of agency and I think an ownership that needs to be shouldered. And I think that's important, one, because that's just how it is. If you mess up, you need to know that you messed up. But two, 
I, there's some there's great optimism in that ownership as far as I'm concerned. So if you, you know what I'm saying, Alex, we talk about this all the time. If you didn't get what you want, what you wanted, uh, and, and when asking the question why, if you find out that there was something that you did wrong, just let me just really put it out there. If you did something wrong, that should have a momentary sting to influence behavior, but it should also come with some optimism because it's like, well, next time I'll just do that thing. Right. Or the next yeah. opportunity like this, I'll dig in a little further and recognize that my commit, my level of commitment matters and how hard I work at this definitely matters. There's, there's something to that. Yeah. Have you found that? Yeah, absolutely. But it, it took some reframing and that was the, that was one of the things that I struggled with most, uh, especially young, like early in my career was this idea of like, things didn't go the way you wanted and not turning that inward and not being like, you know, like, oh man, I'm not, not to go so far as say like, I'm bad at this, but like, oh, that was a bad decision. And like kind of letting that drag you down more than it should, as opposed to like you said, the piece that I was missing for so long was the optimism piece mm -hmm. was the piece of like, okay, you know, at first it was like, I can identify what I did wrong. That's important. I can identify what I want to do differently the next time also important but i think the third piece is what you said that optimism piece and that took a little bit longer to come sure. with it of like like okay now not only do i know where i went wrong but i know how i'm going to fix it and like y you start to almost get excited for another situation similar to that previous one because you're like okay now i know how i'm going to approach it now i know i can be successful and continue to move forward so it's interesting to hear you say that, and I think this might be kind of our full circle moment. Having a purpose versus having goals is, I think, a really interesting idea within this. Because if you, if, you if you set goals, whether it's, I'm definitely going to get a D1 scholarship, or I want my career to look this way very quickly, and, and you find yourself falling short of those, it, one of the issues for people who are frequently disappointed might be inappropriate goal setting. Whereas if you had a purpose that is, again, if you anchor in purpose instead of very explicit goal, then, then maybe the system sets up a little bit differently. Maybe it is, my purpose is to play four more years of, of volleyball at the college level. And whether that is at an elite Division I program, maybe that's a, sort of a secondary concern. I just want to keep playing volleyball because I love this freaking, I love the sport. So this is what I'm going to do. Maybe it is, if, if my purpose is get a job so that I can influence lives instead of get this job at this pay rate, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, does that make sense at all? Is that, yeah. is, do you think it'd be easier to align with that? Yeah. I mean, well, you, we've talked about it before too. Like it's the difference between you give yourself one way to be right or a bunch of different ways to be right. And like, if you say my goal is to have job X at pay rate Y and you don't reach it, like uh, for all intents and purposes, you failed. Right. But if the purpose is a job that allows me to influence people's lives, there's so many different ways that, that you can be successful. And that's one of the things that I stole from you that I talk about with my athletes all the time is like, if you want to win a state championship, like that's great. And never would I say like, that's a, that's wrong and you shouldn't want that. But if that's the only thing that we're going for, if that's the only goal then again, you've given yourself one way to be right and you've just so happened to pick something that's very, very difficult right. to achieve. So it's like, yeah. you know, think about it and think about the lasting implications of your purpose versus your goal. Like, because I think you do, if you do set a goal, for example, you do have to also consider, okay, what happens if I don't reach it? Well, if state championships your goal, to go back to that idea, I mean, if you're a senior, there's nothing you can do. You right. just miss the right. boat. It's done. Yeah. 
Yeah. I In my situation as well, it was my number one school when looking at colleges because I was confident I was going to play. I'd gotten some other offers from smaller schools, but but I at the end of the day, my number one school was Loyola. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in, in Chicago I, from Wilmette. I was wanted to be in Chicago, be in the big city, and be downtown where all this crazy good stuff was happening. Yeah. And I just wanted to be there. And I knew I couldn't quite get to Northwestern, and that was you know not quite where I wanted to be. DePaul didn't quite give me the right vibes. So I knew that I just wanted to be at Loyola no matter what. Hmm. And if I could play volleyball there, it'd be a dream on top of a dream. Mm-hmm. And when I got in, I was like, great. I've achieved this base level, and I feel really, really good about it. And if at the end of the day, that's all I get, then we're going we're gonna to have to make the best out of that situation. Sure. And that's a good situation that I found myself in. Yeah. So that's not bad. And in addition, I was able to dabble around with all this volleyball there, and and that provided a lot of really good experience for me. But at the end of the day, it's it wasn't quite that defining thing that I set mm-hmm. my Loyola career around. I say my time at Loyola was incredible because of the school that it was, the environment that it was in, and the larger city that I was able to kind of make my own. Yeah. And volleyball thankfully was a part of that in a lot of different ways and it's a kind of throw me down this path right here are you a lifetime chicago guy uh i would not be disappointed if i was a lifetime chicago guy there are other places i want to live and want to be but sure like i bought this place in uptown and don't plan on selling it anytime soon and if i need to come back and say living in uptown for a couple years then great i that'd be the greatest consolation prize you can think of well chicago's happy to have you Thank so, you. I speak on behalf of everyone at this desk with <laughs> yeah, this view. Yeah. Chicago, all of Chicago, things. right there. Uh, any quick hitters for this guy? I got a few. Mm-hmm. The lightning round. You mentioned having to stay up to date with what's going on in the news, having to stay up to date with what's going on in the financial world. Like, has there been a day that you've had where you're getting ready to go into a show, and at the last minute, it's just like oh my gosh, everything changed or this has just come to the top of the order? Like, can you give us a story of a moment when that happened? Um, It was before I was doing this subject of business. It was while I was doing part-time work. um, And it was was the Sunday show with Dean Richards. And it was 9 a.m. to noon. It was like 9.30 in the morning or something. And there was kind of buzz on Twitter or something. And it was a summer day and... And I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but there was a lot of stuff coming out of Miami. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing a lot of trending stuff. And we get these reports from the newsroom and we get all this other stuff. And that was the, we ended up learning that there was a shooting at Pulse nightclub mm-hmm. the night before, like six hours before, because it happened at 4 a.m. Right. And it was 10 a.m. We had this full three and a half hours of a show left and we scrapped all of it. We had to say, go to a commercial break right now. We got to strategize right now in the next 60 seconds because that was all we had for a commercial break. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? I get on Twitter, start following down this rabbit hole, clicking on links, clicking on people's profiles, and we find a guy who was tweeting who was originally from Chicago who was a bartender there. He wasn't working that night, so he was up and he was you know, hearing about all this stuff. And I direct messaged him. I said, hey, any chance you could jump on right now? We need to talk to you about this. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And we ended up talking to him for like two hours. And we talked to to news stations down there and all this. And we had three hours of content of a show is is tough to work with. And it takes an entire week to do that one show. And we had to 
cancel all of it. So it was within all of that, also talking to the other guests and saying, hey, we have this situation. We have to, I'll talk to you later about it. We'll follow up with more details, but this is going on. And that was like one of the craziest, hectic days that I've ever had in the news industry. And that was one that I'll always remember. Was there someone in the industry that served as like a mentor for you? Because you mentioned that you like, how do you get production uh, experience, right? Like you, right. you kind of didn't know what you were getting into or didn't know how to find experience, everything like that. Was there someone that helped you along the way uh, and kind of showed you the ropes and taught you everything? Um, I won't credit all of that to just one, like my definite skills that I use on a day-to-day basis. I won't credit that just to one person because there were so many factors. There was like a certain class that I was able to take last semester of Loyola and I was audio production and that's literally the most important thing that I do all day. And so there was that, but there was also, you know, the, the communication side where it was a very, um, uninformed skill going into this, but then, you know, building off of other people's experience and all that. But, um, what I was able to really mold what I think is what's needed in the industry as a new age transition today was the experience that my grandpa has. And he was in the radio, which is kind of how I got into this, his experience in the radio industry in Chicago. He was a disc jockey in the 60s and 70s, and and he was really big. He introduced the Beatles at Comiskey Park back when they played down at Sox. And so he had this completely separate world of radio experience. And I would talk to him and we would kind of throw ideas around. And he was, he's been out for a while. And so he would give me his perspective and I would say, okay, well, this, that, that, and that has changed. So how can I change the way that I go about it, but still kind of influence the way that his perspective has, because you can't take that experience lightly. He was able to do all these things, but there was a lot of that where I was able to, I was having to translate his experience and seeing how it applied in today's environment. And so that was a really important way and just a critical thinking way that he kind of forced me unintentionally of saying, this is how I went about things and saying, okay, how can I take that experience and adapt it and say, this is how I have to get this thing done for today. What's his name? Clark Weber. The Clark Weber. Clark Weber. He's at WLS. That's awesome. All right, last one I got for you. What advice would you give to a future leader as a leader in this field uh, to somebody hoping to follow a similar path? In this industry? Yeah. Um, The time management. I think that's, at the end of the day, that's nuts and bolts of what I do is time management down to the minute and to the seconds of making sure commercials run, guests are on, and all this stuff. And to have that, it will be a world of smooth sailing relatively in in a successful career. And I've gotten to the point where I'm now where I've had these experiences of having to scrap a show and covering all these international stories and covering all these hyper-local stories. And it's been relatively smooth because of you know solid time management. And it always gets better and there's always stuff to be working on. But that's been a really critical part of my path of getting to where I am right now. Last question, version two. <laughs> and where and where are you going? That is a great question. Um, I'd like to be more in, right now I'm a lot of boots on the ground position of creating this content and you know moving things along and getting it out to a lot of listeners and a lot of viewers. 
but I'd like to be more on the management or leadership or business side of it. Cause I've seen all of this. I've, we've talked about all of this business, whether it's a relative industry, a smart startup industry, anything big, small, anything in between. And I've learned so much about how people go about their business and the successes and the fails and all of that in between that have created really successful businesses and also not very successful businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important into taking that and applying it into a real business environment of whether that's a leadership position, whether it's a management position. I think that's ideally where I'd like to be going with all of this. And I'd love to continue doing that here in Chicago because that's this is one of the best business cities, one of the best radio cities, media cities, mm-hmm. and one of the best cities in the entire world. And so to be able to do that and do that here and continue that, and whether it's a very direct path from here or if that's something relative that's connecting back to this, then I'll see that as a as a success and, and I'll be able to say, yeah, we're going down the right path. I'm really excited to see where this path goes, sincerely. And I hope it does go to that level. I think you do a great job, boots on the ground, but to have, that's ultimately where I was going with my earlier line of questioning is, I think we need more reputable sources, sort of, I don't want to say pulling the strings, it sounds too heavy handed, but guiding these rabbit holes. You know, if we could nurture the news in in more accurate and, and usable ways, I think that would be really beneficial all told, and I would trust someone like you in that position. So I don't know if you vote to get a position like that, but you've got my vote. <laughs> Mine too. There well, thank is. you. That's thank two you. votes. Let's write a letter, Alex, to W. We'll, se- we'll send some emails a little bit later. There it goes. Yeah. Love it. Digital. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much, man. This is a great thank place. You You're doing great yeah. work, and I, and I mean it. I'm impressed with how far you've come, and I'm excited to see where you're off to. Thank you. I'm excited. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's Remind cover.com and when you go there if you want to place an order and i recommend it use the code good athlete for a discount on checkout